our DMs are filled with parents who, and, and I get it, like it's, it's hard being a parent. And I think that, you know, in, in this day, especially we have so much more information than our, than our parents had before us. Um, but I, I, I just wish that parents didn't stress perhaps so much on the things that, that really don't matter as, as much and, and are sort of taking that, that long view approach instead of that, that day-to-day meal-to-meal hyper-focus um, that I think kind of takes a lot of the joy out of feeding. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 151. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Well, hello, hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I have a really great episode for you today, especially if you're a parent and you want to learn more about micronutrients and how to feed your plant-based baby and toddler. We have on the show today, Whitney English and Alexandra Caspero, who are registered dietitian nutritionists, and they are going to be talking about their new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. Just a reminder, that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. So it's not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by your healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please talk to their doctor. So Whitney and Alex are registered dietitian nutritionists, certified personal trainers, moms, and the founders of the Plant-Based Juniors Community. PBJs is your complete guide to plant-based prenatal and pediatric nutrition. They are authors of First Bites, the Predominantly Plant-Based Pregnancy Guide, and The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. Now, this new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler, is set to be released May 11th of 2021, but you can pre-order now. Pre-orders are open wherever books are sold, but if you go to their website, Plant Based Juniors, you can get bonuses if you pre-order. So you're going to get five extra bonus recipes, but also what's even more amazing is that they have arranged for discounts that can add up to hundreds of dollars. So essentially, if you're gonna buy some of these things already, like some supplements, special gear that you might need for feeding your baby, like bibs and plates and those kinds of things, then the book is gonna essentially pay for itself. So go on over to plantbasedjuniors.com, go to where it says books and the first one, the plant-based baby and toddler, and it'll take you to the page where you can sign up for your bonuses. So pre-order now, 
book is not released until May 11th, but if you pre-order, you get extra goodies. So if you're gonna get the book anyway, do it now. Get on the pre-order list. You're gonna love this book, especially if you have a baby or a toddler, are planning to have a baby or a toddler. So if you're a pregnant plant-based mama, this book is for you as well. So what do we talk about in this interview? We talk about why they wrote this book, why they're raising their families in a predominantly plant-based way and what that even means, what they think parents worry about the most when it comes to feeding their kids, what is the biggest misconception about raising a plant-based child, what parents might worry about that is unnecessary when it comes to feeding their children. We talk about choline and we talk about vitamin A because those are hot topics right now in the plant-based community. And then we talk about what micronutrients they recommend supplementing and how we can find out more about that. They have a special free guide through their website as well and how you can find quality and reliable supplements and you know lots of great positive tips. I think if you are a plant-based parent, you're going to leave this episode feeling good, feeling reassured, empowered, and knowing where you can find the information so that you can raise your plant-based child in a confident way, not worried that they're going to be missing stuff and, you know, cover your bases. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to listen in to my conversation with Whitney and Alex from Plant-Based Juniors. Whitney and Alex, the very famous, wonderful, fantastic, amazing plant-based juniors, dietitians. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you. Nice intro. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I do feel like y'all are superstars. I mean, for real. Okay. I'm just going to say you're both beautiful (laughs) and all of your children are all beautiful. And, you know, just everybody is so photogenic and the food. Like, my question is, before we get into the rest of these very important questions, which one of you is willing to adopt me as your child (laughs) so that I can eat the food that you feed your kids? Because I would be totally happy with that. You're going to want to move in with Alex. (laughs) She is the expert chef. That's probably true. But also, I was going to say, you don't know what we do to our sweet children to get them to smile. Like, the behind the scenes is also comical for the photo shoots we do where it's like, I mean, yes. So A lot of the time, it looks like they're smiling and laughing, and they're actually bawling. (laughs) You should totally do a behind the scenes, like how what it took to get this picture of your... Oh, but they're so cute, though. Oh, I love them. And they're little It's so funny. I actually sent a picture to Alex once, and you know how you can hold it down, and you can see what was, like, actually happening? And it's, like, me running into the frame, like, shaking Caleb so he'll smile. She's like, that's how you get him to smile. But it worked, and it was a cute photo. So it, so it was worth it, right? It worked. Yeah. We have a little gallop the into secrets. the frame. The secrets of PBJ. I love it. I love it. Okay, so you guys just wrote a fabulous book. I'm so honored to have been able to read a version of it. What a great resource. Thank you so much for writing this. I wanna hear from each of you, why did you write this? I know that it was many years in the making, so tell Mm -hmm. me how this idea even started. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I think that, I, I mean, honestly, it was, it was the book that really is the reason that PBJs exist. You know, it was the resource that Whitney and I were looking for and couldn't find. 
you know, when we both became pregnant and we're starting to really think about raising our kids, we felt like the the things that were out in the market currently were either, you know, something that was like, don't worry about it. If you're plant based, you don't have to worry about a thing. Everything kind of takes care of itself. Or it was you can't raise your kids this way. You know, you you have to introduce animal products. And we just felt like we know that n- neither one of those things are correct, but we couldn't find sort of the evidence based resource that made us as dietitians feel feel confident and empowered. So we really set out to to write the book that we were looking for. And I'm I'm happy to say we did. Yay. I'm a very obsessive type A dietitian. So when oh, I want to know the answer, <laughs> yes, she is very obsessive. <laughs> when I want to know the answer to something, I will dig deep, 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 deep into the research. And there were a few questions that I had both during pregnancy and while raising my son that I absolutely could not find an answer to in in any available lay literature. So I went down the rabbit hole to get to the bottom of some of these issues and. The fact that it was so hard for me to find what should be pretty simple um, answers to, to pretty basic questions that all plant-based parents need to know showed us that there, there was no good place for, for people who aren't nutrition experts to go to get these answers. So mm-hmm. that's why we were like, we got to put this information out there. Do you feel like the personality type of a dietitian is like that anyway? Like, do you feel like dietitians like numbers and like, you know, like you're a little bit more detail oriented, detail oriented. Yes. A hundred (laughs) percent. Which is good. I'm glad you exist. I'm glad you exist. Somebody. So thank you for doing that background work for us because I'm not that kind of person. So, okay. So let's take a couple of step back couple of steps back and talk about why each of you have decided to go down this road anyway for yourselves and your own families and children. Sure. So I went predominantly plant-based. That's the term that Alex and I use about six years ago. Uh, prior to that, I was a protein and animal protein obsessed fitness junkie who really didn't know anything about nutrition. And then I went back to school and got educated. And it was in my program that I learned about the massive amount of research supporting a plant-based diet and really all different types of plant-based diets for longevity and chronic disease prevention. And so that's what, that's what turned me. And since, since going predominantly plant-based, I've learned so much more about the ethical side of this way of eating, about animal cruelty, about climate change, about the environment. Mm-hmm. And that's all factored into my decision to, to eat this way and, and to raise my family this way as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty similar. I mean, I, I've never been a huge meat eater. Uh, in col- I, I sort of dabbled in vegetarianism in high school and then uh, really in college is when I decided to, to stop eating meat. And uh, funny enough, when I met my husband, you know, his, his parents are dairy farmers. He's from Wisconsin. And so, you know, when I met them, I mean, I think my mother-in-law was like, wait, you don't eat what? You know, she had no idea what, what to do. And, and my husband was, you know, very heavy, like um, meat and protein, meat and potatoes uh, sort of person. And over the years together, I mean, that was, you know, 14, 15 years ago, we've both sort of adapted this way. He now has completely cut out all meat. So it's a little bit of cheese. But anyways, I, I knew from that it was sort of a no brainer that we would raise our kids this way. Uh, just awesome. sort of for all the, all the reasons Whitney said, you know, I feel like especially at this time and in this life, you know, we can't just focus on human health, but planetary health is also so important. And especially sort of raising this next generation, it just feels like 
you know, this is so aligned with, with what I believe and also the world I want to leave for my children. So uh, this, is, this is the right path for us. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like whichever route you come to it from, you learn about the other things too, you know? Totally. So I think a lot of us, especially in this space, we came to it because of the health reasons and the literature and the evidence yes. showing that this was a good way to live a long, healthy life, but it's almost impossible not to learn about everything else associated with it. And then you just have more mental space after that. You make that first mm -hmm. step and then you have this mental space that you learn about all these other issues as well. So. You're very careful to say predominantly plant-based. What does mm -hmm. that mean to you? Yeah, yeah we, so we, predominantly plant-based is a term that we coined really to encompass the, the evidence that shows that all walks of plant-based lifestyles are beneficial for human health. So the research shows that vegans, vegetarians, flexitarians, pescatarians, no matter what kind of plant-based diet you follow, there are health benefits and it is superior to eating a traditional animal heavy heavy diet and as alex just stated we are not in this just for nutrition we're also in this to save the planet <laughs> just that lofty goal um, and again the research really supports that we need everybody eating less animal products we need everyone to reduce their meat intake so while we totally commend people who can make the jump to a fully plant-based diet or a vegan diet, which is more of an ethical, which is an ethical term actually, instead of a nutrition term. Um, we wanna be as inclusive as possible to really make that global change, to really get more people on board. Because if we're going right out the bat and suggesting people go completely plant-based, um, it's just not as successful from what we know from, from studies of diets that people who, take a black and white approach to most eating patterns often um, are unsuccessful in, in the long term. So, you know, we think a slow, a slow approach, like, like you just detailed, you know, making baby steps, adding to your, your bread of knowledge about the topic and going as far plant-based as that takes you um, can, can be a, a good approach for most people. Alex, did you have anything to add? No, I, yeah, I mean, I think she summed it up well. I think it's, it's sort of like the, you know, the, the wider net sort of catches more, more people. And I think that, especially for when we, when we come at it from a, a raising children point of view, I think if, if you're sort of like, yeah, I've heard about the health benefits of plant-based eating, you know, I, I've sort of seen over and over again this sort of predominant plant-based pattern and how beneficial it is for, for so many aspects of, of chronic disease and, and just overall health. But not quite sold on raising my kids, quote unquote, vegan or 100% plant based. I think that it's it's much more appealing to say, oh yeah, I can eat this way, you know, most of the time, or I don't have to worry so much when they're over at grandma's house or when they're, you know, at daycare or whatever. I think it's just a a, a more inclusive way. And and we found that when we talk to our readers, you know, there we definitely have a, a lot of a vegan or strict plant based eaters, but we also have a lot of people who just say, I'm really curious in this way of eating. I know I want to do more of this and I know I want to do this sort of for the whole family. Yeah. And even your book, you talk about what the literature shows and what the evidence is anyway, that there's no mm -hmm. evidence shows that you have to be 100% this way in order to have health benefits and also planetary benefits and all that stuff, you know aligns with that as well. But well, I agree. I, think, I feel I think oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say I think animal sort of ethics and and welfare aside, I think that for a lot of people it feels like okay, 
that means if if I eat this way for for most of the time, but I don't have to completely quote unquote give up, you know, the the occasional animal based food, I think that is a much more palatable response for for a lot of people. And you know, like Whitney said, like we've got to move fast, you know, especially when we think about what the the UN reports are coming out and all of the you know sort of scary uh, climate science that we're seeing. I, I I wish that we were sort of further along as a as a population, but we're not. And we know actually that meat intake tends to, to increase depending on sort of what population that you're looking at in the past couple of years. So I think that really sort of having this message of more plants more often um, is just, again, just resonates with the larger population. And at the end of the day, there are just so many unknowns in, in science in general, mm-hmm. but specifically in nutrition science, which is a young science. But one thing that everyone can agree on is that more fruits and vegetables are more beneficial. More plants yes. are men- more beneficial. This is something that that's indisputable and that we can all get on board with. And I just really love meeting people where they are. Because for some of us, it's realistic to be able to go 100%. Like we have the resources, we have the knowledge, we have access. And for some people, it's not. And so giving them a place where they can feel the self-efficacy to be like, wow, I'm only eating meat twice a week now. And I used to eat it three times a day. I mean, that could be a huge deal for them. I also found that some people with different personality types hate labels. Like they just Mm -hmm. don't want to be labeled in any way. My dad's one of them. He's downstairs, so I can't talk too loud. But anyway, um, he doesn't want to call himself any of those things. And so some people may just be like, you know, I don't eat much meat or I eat a lot of plants and they don't really want to say I'm plant-based or I'm vegan or any of these terms, reducitarian, pescatarian, whatever. And so I think we have to realize that everybody's different and how can we create something so that we can reach common goals for our health, for the planet, for the animals, and just for happiness and well-being. Because yeah. I'm all about and it feeling takes, good. It takes the factor of shame out of it. Yes. For a lot of people, yeah. when they start a new eating pattern, they're either on or they're off. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates a lot of shame when you eat a food that's so-called off your, off your diet and causes most people to completely go in the opposite direction to backfire. Mm-hmm. I can't yes. tell you how many times I've been, oh, I used to be vegan. I used to be vegetarian. And I'm like, you, you know, it doesn't have to be one way or another. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just start start a pattern of eating and and it can ebb and flow based on your lifestyle? Yes, uh, I love that so much. It's so true. Okay, raising kids is a whole nother thing, though. I mean, like as both of you know, we have ourselves, we can handle ourselves. <laughs> We're cool, you know. There's still the distress that comes with feeding yourself. You have kids, and it's like to the next level: anxiety, fear, anger. You know, like, I mean, there's every emotion. All in joy. Of course, joy. You know, it's funny. It's fun too. But one thing that I love about your account is that you do work with parents and then you help them, you you help guide them through this. So, but first Mm -hmm. of all, I want to know with your experience, what do you think parents worry about the most when it comes to raising plant-based kids? I, I think it's the same as if you're raising omnivore kids. You know, I think sometimes we, we take this line of like, well, if you're plant-based, if you're omnivore, but a lot of times the the concerns, you know, especially the nutrient concerns and just parental concerns are the same. And that is making sure you're raising your kids, quote unquote, healthy, right? And there's a lot of ways that can be, but I think that so many parents, and I, and I think especially, you know, when we look back on sort of our own childhood, I have, we have so many parents who will say things like, 
I was so picky for so long. I don't want that for my child. Or, you know, I, I ate this way for so long and I don't want that for my child. And I think a lot of times it's sort of that that course correction, but also just, you know, how do we how do we sort of get them started on the right foot? And I think that's true for uh, an omnivore or a plant-based parent. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the biggest misconception is about raising plant, plant-based kids specifically? I think one of the biggest irrational fears that we hear is that they're not going to get enough protein would probably be one of the top, top concerns. And I don't know if you've My covered favorite. this on the podcast before, <laughs> but that's just a ridiculous claim when you, when you look at the nutrient composition of plants and realize that protein, all nine essential amino acids to be specific, are found in really every single whole plant food. And that it takes a mere two cups of soy milk to meet the protein needs for a one to three-year-old toddler. And that's without even taking into account their food for the day. So mm-hmm. that's one that we get a lot. And then other various nutrients. Yeah. I, I think I think the other thing, and I kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but but I do see this a lot in the plant-based community, is this idea that, you know, oh, if you're if you're plant-based, you don't have to worry. And I think that one thing that we try to really talk about with parents is look, you know, well-planned diets, every child needs to be on a quote-unquote well-planned diet, right? I mean, just because you're eating uh, McDonald's and, you know, fruit snacks doesn't mean necessarily you get all the nutrients you need because you're including animal products. But at the same time, just because you're eating a more plant-based diet doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting all of the nutrients you need either. And I think sometimes we really try to educate around the idea that supplements are not four-letter words, especially if your child is not eating certain things. A lot of our foods are naturally fortified. And if your child is not eating those things, you do need to find either a a plant-based fortified source or a supplement. And and that does not mean that you are not doing it quote-unquote right. Um, But, you know, we do need to be aware of certain nutrients and, and they can be harder to find, especially with smaller bellies and, you know, smaller preferred appetites, right? I mean, my son's not gonna eat three cups of broccoli a day to get all of his calcium from, uh, from, from that, even though he could, if he was, you know, if, if he was willing to do that, he's just not, you know, if I can get him to eat a half cup, that's a win. So, you know, not being afraid of, of fortified options just to make sure that you are getting the nutrients you need. And that does not mean that you're quote unquote failing or that you're doing it wrong. It just means that you're being a really good advocate for what your child needs. Yeah, yeah, recognizing that even omnivorous diets have supplementation involved, yes. whether you know it or not whether it's that vitamin D that's fortified in the cow's milk that you're providing or the iodine that got into that cow's milk one way or another. Mm-hmm. So I love that you guys brought this up because when I started my Nutrients of Concern series last year, I went over fortification because it's been part of the American food system for so long that mm-hmm. we take it for granted and it's invisible to us, right? Yes. And what I didn't realize, cause you know, I live in the United States, is that not all countries do this, but we've mm-hmm. been doing it since the 1920s and putting things into food that we just assume would have been there. And it's not. Vitamin D is a good example. Iodine is a good example. But even things like iron that I know you guys talk about in your book. So I think it's important for people to know that because otherwise there's this whole it's natural, it's not natural argument, which I think is kind of moot anyway, <laughs> you know, Agreed. because Agreed. there's a lot of things that are natural, yes. including death when you're a baby, yes. you know what right. I'm saying? So we don't necessarily always want to do what's natural. Sanitation. We want to do, we have a, the entire, yeah. uh, an entire section in our intro that covers that whole argument about it's not natural. And we go yes. through one by one talking about the specific nutrients and 
what their natural origins are. And the ultimate con- um, conclusion that we come to is that, like you said, it's a moot point. Does it matter if it's natural or not? Nothing in our modern society is natural anymore. Mm-hmm. What matters now is that it's doable, it's sustainable, it's healthy, and it's beneficial for both people and the planet. So yes. whether or not our caveman ancestors were doing it exactly the way we're doing it now, it, it doesn't matter. We don't need meat anymore. We're not, we're not having a hard time finding food. The reverse is true. Right. Yeah. I don't think I want to go live in a cave right now. I <laughs> love air conditioning. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love my fireplace and um, showers. So, <laughs> so you know, there's a lot of things that, and so basically that being said, it's just to help people feel a little bit better about how we do that in our, it doesn't make you a bad mm-hmm. mom no, to, God, no. to use fortified foods. It doesn't make you a bad mom to supplement things. You know, we can't be expected to be able to meet everything just by eating fruits and vegetables or whatever, you know? So. So thanks for bringing that up. We wouldn't have so many nutrient deficient toddlers if it was that easy to meet nutrient needs just through diet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about as far as like other things that you see that parents worry about. You kind of touched on this, Alex, that you know kids sometimes don't eat very much or eat more some days than others. Do you find that parents worry unnecessarily about how kids eat or how kids eating changes over time? Yes. I mean, I listen, I'm a parent too, right? I've got a toddler who, I mean, he, he's three and a half, and I don't think anyone who's ever fed a three and a half year old for a long period of time would call it like easy breezy. You know, I mean, there are, there are fun, different, unique challenges and, and fun things, you know, depending on, on the day. But I think that a lot of times what, what we hear from our parents is like, you know, at this meal, he didn't eat this, or he didn't eat enough, or I'm worried. And it's like, look, nutrition essentially is a long game, right? I mean, my child might not get quote unquote, the amount of iron that he needs in one day, but that's okay. You know, he might make it up the next day, or, you know, it's really about sort of what, what is the usual pattern? And that's really what we try to tell parents is it's what matters most of the time that matters. You know, it's, it's not these individual meals. I think the other night, my son only had like you know, one bite of his avocado toast and like 10 strawberries for dinner. Is that nutritionally complete? No. You know, is that anything that I'd be like, oh, this is sort of what I would recommend all parents to be? No. But that's, that's what happened. That was, you know, what his appetite was. And I think that it's really about sort of like letting that stress go and also knowing like what your role is. We talk a lot about the division of responsibility and feeding in our book. And I think to me, it's just sort of this really big like aha of what I'm responsible in doing and what my child is. And as long as I know that I'm meeting his needs as far as offering healthful foods, offering them often, offering them at set meals and snack times, I don't have to stress so much about how much he's eating and what foods he's trying to put into his body. Yeah, you really got to take a, a global perspective. Take a, mm-hmm. take a look back at the totality of the diet, and and I will say as a caveat, if your if your child is not growing according to their growth curve, or if yes. they have a diagnosed nutrient deficiency, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. But if your child is healthy, they're growing properly, their pediatrician is giving you the thumbs up, then you don't need to be obsessing about every every single plate. You're gonna miss miss the big picture. Yeah, yeah. And, and Whitney brings up a good point too. You know, we 
we don't want to necessarily generalize because there there are pediatric issues that, that happen and we want to make sure we're sort of catching them early. If you're if your mom gut or parent gut is sort of telling you like, uh, eh, something's really changed, he's liking less and less foods, he's not eating very much, then obviously we want you to discuss that with your pediatrician. But sort of for the for the average child who is growing according to their growth chart, a lot of these things sort of the day-to-day things we, we just don't worry about too much as long as the overall shift is, is positive. And the problem when you get too obsessive about individual meals and picky eating in general, which I'll say research shows is completely normal. The majority of kids from actually two to all the way up to six years old are going to experience picky eating. When you obsess too much about the specific plate, then your behavior starts to change. Mm-hmm. And and you start putting pressure on your child, whether or not you want to and whether or not you know it. And that is going to defeat your ultimate goal in the long run. So like Alex said, it's a long game. You may get them to eat all of their nutrients that are on that plate in that meal. But what is going to happen long term is that they're going to be pushing back against that, pushing back against you and your feeding patterns. And when you're not there to force feed them, <laughs> all of their nutrients at each meal, they're not going to choose to eat them on their own. So we're really working not only to, to implement proper nutrition, but to instill positive behaviors that will carry over throughout their life. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover. If you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. And, and feeding should be fun. Mealtime should be fun. You know, I, I can't imagine any of us want to sit down with someone who's, you know, overly anxious about what we're about to eat or look at us every time we put something in our mouth and say, did you like it? Do you want more? Is it good? I mean, that's 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 awful. That's not a positive experience. And so I think that if we can just sort of say, like, look, let's let's step back, let's let your child sort of like play and explore and, and have those experiences when it comes to feeding. We yes, it's about nutrition, but also healthy eating is also about your sort of you know, healthy relationship with food and and enjoying coming to the table and enjoying those foods and not feeling like, oh yeah, my mom always used to make me eat that. You know, that sort of comes into that power struggle and rebellion. And I will acknowledge that you may have to become an actress because as I said in the beginning, I'm an anxious type A dietitian. And so I might want to cheer every time my son tries a veggie that he wouldn't before or cringe when he completely throws a meal off his plate. But, you know, I got to keep that stone, that stone wall face going, Mm -hmm. not let him know what's what's going on underneath. Yeah. And I tell parents, because it's hard, you know, we're all Mm -hmm. moms here. So we know that sometimes you know, that mom, that mom look comes out. So I I tell moms at the beginning when they're practicing this, sometimes you have to get up from the table and be like, oh, I forgot something in the kitchen, you know, and go take a deep breath and come back, you know. Um, And and we're not saying this is easy. You know, we we're in there too. We, we know, God, there's so many times I just want to be like, eat it, just take a bite. But you know, I just have to, to not. And, and so I, I say that meaning like we, we know this advice is sometimes harder to implement than it sounds, but it, it really is the best approach. 
but also for each mom to give herself grace. My kids are already 11 and 16 and it, it does not completely go away. I'm sorry to tell you guys. So, um, but you know, it gets easier and with practice, you get better at it. But I say the same as y'all. What I tell my families is it's not meal to meal or even day to day. Mm-hmm. It's more week to week and month to month. The overall structure, the overall balance, the overall intake of your diet. Because as a pediatrician, I know how many things changes appetite too. Like when kids get sick and they get a cold, parents freak out. They're not eating. It's okay. It'll rebound. Just keep them hydrated. You know, Mm -hmm. I say it all the time. Then their appetite comes back and they're just like monsters. Like they're putting (laughs) stuff down. And when they go through growth spurts, when my older one went through a growth spurt out, I didn't know how to keep enough food in the house, you know, like so much intake. So some of that is about trusting them. And and that's where that division of responsibilities, intuitive eating, but also going back and learning how to trust ourselves. Because the more I've learned how to trust my own appetite, the more I've realized, you know, during the month, as my cycle changes, there's some days I'm not that hungry. And some days I need to eat almost twice what I did the day before. And it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because that is what my body is asking me to do. Our kids do the exact same thing. So whenever you start tuning into your own body, you realize it fluctuates and that's why their appetite fluctuates too. Or if you're just like really active one day and you know how kids are, they never stop, you know? So yeah. And Alex and I talk about this in the book, like Mm -hmm. you can't give your child what you don't Mm -hmm. have yourself. This is Mm -hmm. Alex's favorite quote. It is my (laughs) favorite quote. If you don't have a positive relationship with food yourself, you're not going to be able to give that to your child. And we have a whole section about different parenting styles and how you know, we were both raised with authoritarian parents. We love you moms, but they were authoritarian and, you know, they, they pushed the fruits and veggies on us. They were very obsessive and, and we're working to uh, course correct and, and not, not implement those, that same type of tactics ourselves. Yeah. And it's all done through love, right? I mean, I think we all, of course, we all do the best we can with what we have right now. And in the past, our yeah. parents and grandparents did, and we just, learn a better way and we practice a better way and we do the best we can moving forward. That's all great information. Thank you so much. Well, let's move on to a couple of nutrients that I want to hear from my type A detail-oriented <laughs> experts, please, so that I know how to answer these questions the next time I get asked on a podcast. So the first one is choline. Why is this a concern? Since when has this been a concern and what do I need to be worried about? Because I don't even know what to worry about when it comes to choline. Of course, we know studies with eggs and TMAO mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So tell me what we need to yeah. know about choline, when we need to worry about it. There's still so much to learn about choline. It only kind of like popped up in the, on the map like in the past 10 years. And, and the bulk of the research has been funded by companies that make choline supplements. So mm. uh, choline is a B-like vitamin. It's really important for baby's brain development. We know that we need it in pregnancy and while breastfeeding. Um, and really during those periods of of rapid brain growth. Uh, But there isn't a whole lot of research on it, and and some of it's conflicting. Some say that it doesn't really matter what you eat in your your diet, that the same levels are maintained in the breast milk. Other studies show that uh, about 50% of of pregnant women, regardless of their diet, are not consuming enough choline. And then there's the issue that you talked about, which is uh, this paradox with choline, where we know that it's beneficial for brain growth, but there's also studies in adults showing that consuming choline, um, choline is is transformed by our gut microbiome and then by our liver to this uh, carcinogenic molecule called um, trimethylamine oxide, TMAO. So 
what, what do we do with all this information? Alex and I, we, we did what we do, and we did a deep dive into the research. And what we've come to, come to uh, uh, our conclusion is that, yes, choline may, may be potentially detrimental, specifically from, from the food sources that it's found in animal products, eggs later in life due to these associations with TMAO and cardiovascular disease, but it's so important for uh, prenatal health, breastfeeding, and early childhood that we do want to prioritize getting it in your diet, either via whole foods or via supplements. And because of that, a lot of prenatal vitamin um, makers are now including some choline in, in in their multivitamins. However, it's usually not enough to make any type of dent in your choline intake. Unfortunately, the main message that we're getting uh, from the egg industry and, and, and other groups is that really the only way to meet choline needs is, is by eating animal products. And um, that, that's partially true, not, not entirely true. Eggs are a very good source of choline. They've got about 150 milligrams and uh, a, a pregnant woman needs, correct me if I'm getting these numbers wrong off the top of my head, 450 milligrams of choline and a yep, breastfeeding and mama needs about 550. 550. Might be slightly yep, off on no, those. But, right. um, so you can see how eggs would be a helpful way to meet that. Uh, but there are, there's choline widespread in, in all plant foods, at least small amounts. And certain foods like tofu or, or soybeans specifically, for example, um, or wheat germ, are, are a very good source of choline. What throws a wrench into all of this and complicates is, it, it, is that choline is not a part of, um, has not been, choline amounts in foods have not been integrated very well into the USDA nutrient database. So we actually don't even know the choline, in, the choline content of all foods. So that it makes it really complicated to make recommendations on what foods, what foods to eat and what foods uh, don't have choline. Um, we have one chart that was established, I believe it was by um, some researchers at Chapel Hill. And that's really the only, the only paper that we have that's giving choline amounts. So choline's a tricky, it makes, it makes the whole choline issue very complicated. But in our book, actually, I went through and using, Alex and I went through using all of those amounts and put together a sample meal plan for a two-year-old that would give you all of the choline that you need in a day entirely from plant foods. And the reassuring information from all of that is because there are small amounts in all, all plant foods that your kid is likely getting enough. And uh, as a form of insurance during pregnancy and breastfeeding, we do recommend that strict plant-based moms uh, supplement with about half of the RDA for choline. But again, it's just like it, it, anything else, you're taking that multivitamin as, as a form of insurance, and it's not based on whether you're a plant-based eater or you're an omnivore. It, it's all women should be, taking, should be taking a little bit extra as a form of insurance. Got it. So from what you have seen in the research and what we have available for choline amounts, we should be able to get enough, or the children, little toddler, should be able to get enough choline from plants. Yes, yeah. but we, we recommend pri- prioritizing soy foods because those are currently the best plant-based source that we know of. Mm-hmm. There may be other really good sources and we just haven't sussed those out just yet. Yeah, yeah I, I think our bottom line is that, look, you know, we, we know that choline is such a critical nutrient for brain development. It's why it's prioritized so much in, in pregnancy and lactation. 
Um, we would assume then, you know, in, in sort of the early infancy, uh, early toddlerhood years, that it's also important. But we don't see any, any reason, any evidence to why we should supplement during that. You can just focus on getting it through food sources. And like Whitney said, it's, it's another reason that we like soy milk as sort of the, the best option after uh, formula or breast milk, just because of, of lots of reasons, but also because it does contain choline and the other plant-based milks out there don't. And there's really no research on choline deficiency in children. So there's yeah. nothing that we can go off of right now to make definitive recommendations other than just saying, try to eat a, a varied plant-based diet that includes soy foods. And I, I just want to clarify this too, because sometimes we'll get a follow-up question. We're, we do not recommend choline supplementation at this point for any adult except for pregnancy or lactation. Um, and like Whitney said, that's because of that TMAO consideration. So we, we don't think there's enough evidence to, to show that, but sort of in those specific periods of time, we think that there is enough pros to say, you know, this is sort of a, a window where supplementation is likely a, a good option. We both did it. We recommend doing it. Um, but then after you've, you've weaned your child off, then you can stop. And we don't recommend continuing it. Yeah, the benefits outweigh the risk during that time period. Exactly. Okay, got it. Okay, so the next one is vitamin A. I'm really confused about this. So everybody's getting really upset about vitamin A and how plant-based eaters aren't converting enough and all of this stuff. So please explain this to me. Because one thing I, I know as a pediatrician is that when babies start to eat complementary foods, especially when they're eating sweet potatoes and carrots, they all turn orange and they get keratinemia. <laughs> it seems to me like they're absorbing beta they're carotene. So mm -hmm. I mean, like that's just my common sense, but I might be wrong. So tell me about vitamin A. Do yeah. we need to be concerned if we're plant-based that we're not getting enough intake of that? Well, there was that recent, there was a recent study about vegan kids with the concern that despite, uh, I believe they, they thought they were getting the adequate intake based on food frequency questionnaires, mm. and then their uh, serum levels were not reflecting that. And so they were concerned about whether they were converting it. Um, I think the problem with that study is, um, I'm not saying to dis discount food frequency questionnaires. They're our number one, they're the most widely used um, mm -hmm. uh, assessment tool in, in many nutrition research studies. But I think the issue, especially when it comes to kids, is that what we think our kid is eating and what we say our kid is eating or what the daycare center reports your child ate may not match up with reality. And in that study specifically, this was um, based in a bunch of daycare centers. So it's likely that the, the caretakers were saying, oh, we serve carrots at lunch. You know, we serve four carrots and it's a very small amount of food, foods that are rich in carotenoids, which are what converts to um, uh, pro vitamin A in the body. You need a very small amount to meet your needs. So it's likely that a daycare center could report that a child had two baby carrots and that's enough to say they met their needs when in reality, maybe the kid didn't eat the baby carrots at all. So I feel like that could be one of the issues with that particular study because it's actually contradictory to, to what the research shows and what mm -hmm. um, the, the DRIs were actually based upon was that enough of these um, pre, pre, uh, precursors to vitamin A, these carotenoids, um, if you eat them in, in the correct amounts, that they will convert to the active uh, vitamin A in the body just the same. They will convert in the breast milk and that there's really not a biological need for, for active um, um, retin retinol. So, so 
my long-winded way of saying that, yes, if you are eating these uh, vitamin A carotenoid-rich plants, like your sweet potatoes, like your carrots, persimmons, basically anything that's this really brightly colored red and orange fruits or vegetables, and also um, leafy greens, that you will make enough vitamin A. There's a caveat here, however. A lot of kids in the toddler ages, maybe when you're not feeding them with a spoon and feeding them their sweet potatoes or their carrot puree, they might actually not eat any of those things in the day. There's so many days when my son does not touch a vegetable, um, most days. (laughs) And so um, you do kind of have to be a little bit cognizant of that. So once you, but once you realize that that's an issue, it's really easy to get around. So like I said, just a fourth cup of any of those brightly colored orange fruits or vegetables, like the carrot, the sweet potato, the pumpkin, that can meet your kids' needs for the day. So knowing that, um, we highlight highlighted carotenoids on our PB3 plate. Our PB3 plate is a is a plate model that we created for parents that they can visually visually represents how to properly plan a plant-based plate. And you can download that for free on our website. And carotenoids are are a call-out item in the fruits and vegetables section. So um, if you're providing a wide array of those things, it's likely that your child will easily meet their needs. You just have to, you just have to kind of be thinking about it. So swirl a little pumpkin in their oatmeal, yep. make some sweet potato fries for lunch if they like them. Mango um, is a good source mango. of vitamin A, which a lot of kids tend to like. You can add that to smoothies with carrots to make sort of like a sunshine, you know, smoothie. So it isn't hard, it, and especially for for an adult, it's just a no brainer. If you're eating a plant based diet, you're probably getting it because most adults have a, have a greater, wider palate than than a child. Well, and I just want to say once again, you know, the if you sort of look at an omnivore diet, vitamin A is added to cow's milk. It doesn't naturally occur there. So you know, we're we're adding this in, and that's where a lot of kids get it. And so you'll hear things like oh, well, you're not getting enough vitamin A. Well, yeah, but they're getting it from a, a fortified source as well. So, you know, we, we sort of are, are food first and, and like to, to sort of say that it, it does, it is such a, so abundant in so many plant-based foods and just offering them uh, to your child often and, and figuring out the ones that, you know, he really likes and or she likes and, and eats often is sort of what we recommend. Yeah. And then just going back to what you said earlier, Whitney, about how nutrition science is young. And there's a lot of things that I, I, I feel as a pediatrician, because I look at things in a big picture, right? So whenever this vitamin A thing came up, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what does vitamin A deficiency even look like? Like, what's right. going on here? And what, <laughs> like, and what does it look like? It looks like, like blindness. Do yeah, I have a bunch that's of not happening. Like, you know, it's just not happening. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, at we least don't see in it my patients that eat this way, you know? And so I guess, I guess part of it too is taking a step back and realizing sometimes that we do sometimes get into this microscopic, theoretical, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're trying to do our best. And, and then going back to if your child is really getting very selective and you know in your mama heart that it's they're just down to like five foods and they refuse to eat anything else we may have a problem there but if your child generally eats a variety of foods even if they're not eating something orange every single day then it's probably okay when it comes to some of these especially that we don't have that much information about because really i'm not seeing that yeah, it's, it's fat soluble. I mean, it's it's not something that you have to make sure you're eating every single day. Like, you know, and, and again, I, I, I don't want any parent to listen to this and be like, oh, my gosh, my kid hasn't eaten kale or sweet potato in two years. You know, like it's it it 
it's not it's not about focusing so much on I mean these nutrients are important right we're not going to discount that but um, we we don't want you to be obsessed or take out your calculator for every meal and you know put everything that your child eats in a chronometer and figure out like like that's just not that's not what we do and we're dietitians and we definitely don't recommend that unless you feel like you know you're you're really trying to assess something for a specific period of time but you know for for the general uh, time period and we that's just not something that we'd ever recommend doing. Yeah. It's totally a balance. I think being aware, learning the information, knowing what's important, what we have to be mindful about, but also at the other end, not micromanaging, right? So it's like this constant balance of life and motherhood. So, but that gives me lots of information going forward. So I appreciate that. So when it comes to specific micronutrients that you recommend supplementing for the average plant-based family, what would those be? So we have a, a free supplement guide on our website, and I, I preface this sort of answer by saying that because uh, if, if anyone's listening to this, I, you, know, you don't have to sort of get out your pen and paper. We have a, a guide that goes into all of this, the different dosing recommendations based on age, and then also our, our favorite products. None of that is sponsored. It's just really a sort of, hey, this is what sort of meets our standards. These are the ones that we like. And also these are the ones that are 100% plant-based because for certain nutrients like vitamin D, for example, it can be hard to find uh, uh, an option that is going to be safe for an infant that's also uh, not lanolin-based, which is the, the animal drive source. So uh, we, we recommend vitamin D for all exclusively breastfed babies. That is what the AAP recommends. Uh, and, and again, if we think back to sort of how we, how we were once upon a time, we were outside. We were converting vitamin D through our skin, and we're just not doing that anymore. And I say that because sometimes we'll get questions from parents who will say, gosh, that doesn't seem natural to have to supplement my child right from birth. And, and it's because, again, we don't live these natural lives that we once did. It does not mean that your, your breast milk is insufficient. It just means that you're not putting your baby outside, you know, half naked for, for a good part of the day to get enough vitamin D that they need. So uh, supplementing 400 IUs of vitamin D that first year. Uh, if you're breastfeeding, uh, the AAP also does recommend uh, considering iron supplementation sort of before you start solids. And again, the, the reason is because our iron stores are built up in utero and they start to decline around four to six months of age. We, we start to introduce solids around there. Um, but, you know, if your baby's having a hard time eating, perhaps, or isn't catching on to starting solids, you, you may want to consider uh, talking to your pediatrician about an iron supplement to help boost that level. And then if you're formula fed, they will get the iron they need through that source. And then after one, uh, the nutrients we're really concerned about specifically for plant-based eaters are B12. Uh, B12 is, is only reliably found in animal-based foods. Uh, it is found in some fortified foods. The, our hesitation with recommending a fortified option for that is that, as we just mentioned a, a few times in this conversation, kids' appetites and preferences change so much. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes my kid is scarfing down smoothies and other times he doesn't want any milk. Well, if I was only relying on the B12 in that fortified milk product, there are some days where he just wouldn't get enough. And so we just think it's sort of a, a more conservative option to offer B12 daily. Um, there, there is some good enough research, I would say, to say that we, we feel comfortable recommending, you know, uh, adults uh, to sort of supplement with larger doses weekly or biweekly, but we just don't have enough of that evidence for kids, and therefore we recommend a daily supplementation of B12. Uh, vitamin D continuously. Again, you can find that in fortified foods, but depending on how much milk perhaps your child is drinking, um, you, you may not be able to get enough depending on the brand. 
Uh, the other thing we do recommend is half the RDA of uh, iodine. And again, if we think about where iodine is typically found in an omnivore diet, it is in milk, um, but it's not naturally occurring. The reason iodine is there is because of the way that we sterilize the milk udders and the, the equipment that we use to, to milk cows. And that's iodized solution gets into the milk. So it's not naturally occurring, uh, but that's how it, how it gets in there. And that's how most omnivore children get enough iodine. Iodine is also found uh, in, in, in better amounts in seafood. But if you're not eating either of those things, then we do recommend half the RDA of, um, of iodine. And that's also because there is iodine in some plant-based foods. And then lastly, the other thing that you may want to consider is DHA. Uh, Whitney and I both believe that there is enough, there's enough research to sort of show that there is a, a positive benefit for supplementing with DHA the first couple years of life. Uh, after that, the results are really mixed. And, and we say that also because we know that DHA tends to be a, a more expensive supplement compared to the others. And so that can be an expense for a lot of families. Again, we think that if, if you can get it and if you can afford it, you know, there's, there's enough of a benefit those first two years or so of life. After that, we, we, we don't say that you have to do it or that that's even something that we really recommend just because the research really isn't there to support that. Did I miss awesome. anything? With? Do you guys have an easy direct link to the guide? We, we do. do. It's in our Instagram bio. And, okay, and you, you may just click on that link, you can download it right there. Yeah, and, and you may hear all of that and be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to give or different, you know, individualized supplements. And a lot of parents just go sort of the multivitamin route too. And, and so that's an option as well. So, you know, we, we try to make it as easy as possible. And, and I do want to underscore the idea that this is not because you are, you are feeding an insufficient diet. Omnivore parents also have to be concerned about nutrients of concern for, for diets as well. You know, uh, iron deficiency is the most common nutrient deficiency regardless of diet. So it's, it's not about the fact that you are feeding something that is inferior, but you, you do want to ensure that you're getting the nutrients perhaps that are not as commonly found in, in certain whole food, plant-based foods, um, and, and making sure those are in the diet. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, 
and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Well, and especially if we're talking about DHA, which is found in seafood. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know about the majority of toddlers that you know that are that are omnivores, but the majority that I know are not eating two servings of seafood a week to get the recommended amount of, of DHA in their diet. So it's really, we're talking about things that, that really apply to all children and all pregnant women and all lactating yeah. women. But and well, we, I, and- I just want to say that we... we we understand how all these numbers can be confusing maybe to someone who isn't this uh, dietitian brain who likes to play with numbers all the time. And in our book, we actually have a tear out, create your own supplement regimen that like a kind of create your own adventure where you can take into account uh, how much milk your kid is drinking, for instance, fortified milk, and figure out what supplements that you should be providing and what amounts. And you can take it with you to the grocery store and make it real easy. Nice. Create your own vitamin adventure. (laughs) Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. We, no, no, no. I was just going to follow up on the DHA thing as well because I, you know, we kind of started this conversation a little bit talking about the environment. And I think that, you know, overfishing is a, is a huge problem. We do not have enough fish to recommend that everyone eats two servings of fish a week, anyways. I think that is a, that is not nutritionally sound when it comes to the health of the planet. And there's other things that fish also contain. You know, they contain mercury, they contain dioxins, they contain other environmental pollutants that we want to, you know, limit, especially in in developing brains. And so I think that for a lot of parents, a DHA supplement that is algae-based feels like a safer way anyways, even if they're open to eating fish. Well, even the kids that are eating fish are not eating sardines and salmon and anchovies. They're eating fish sticks, which are fried and who knows what's in there or fried, you know, they're eating a bunch of fried fish that aren't even high in omega-3 fatty acids. Right. Um, So, I mean, I know because I asked them what they eat and I know what I ate when I was a kid and I was not some kind, I did not eat those high omega-3 fish when I did. It was just like fish sticks and fried shrimp. Fried catfish, Mm because I grew up in Texas too. So (laughs) with hush puppies, which was my favorite part. Um, but you know, I think, I I think that this is, you know, I I don't think it's too much. And just like going back to the natural thing, even just talking to my families about vitamin D, sometimes I have to have this conversation. It's also risk benefit. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if we were outside long enough, almost naked, you know, we could get enough vitamin D right here where I live in, in Washington state, where our latitude is in the winter, you would have to be outside arms and legs fully exposed for two hours in the middle of the day to get enough vitamin right. D conversion yeah. in your skin. Who's going to do that? But even right. if in the summer no. when it's warm, you would do that. Hello, sunburns, you know, so it's like, you know, so we're, we're trying to balance what do we want long-term for our bodies? I don't want wrinkles. I don't want skin cancer. So I'm going to wear my sunblock. I'm going to wear my sleeves and I'm going to take my vitamin D, mm-hmm. you know? So we, we kind of have to make some of those choices as well. So this is really great. I know that you said in your guide, you have some supplements that you like and you know, you're not yeah. sponsored or anything by these companies, but do you have any general advice for families that are looking for reliable and quality supplements? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big thing that that we uh, that we look at is sort of ignoring what's on the front of the label. There are a lot of marketing claims that sound really good, right? Like, you know, we see things like immunity or brain health, and you know, I get it, right? Who doesn't want your child to have a a more heightened, perhaps, immune system or you know, more better brain health, right? Like, those are all sort of buzzwords. But um, I think really sort of turning over the 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 label and looking at exactly what's in it um, is is a good guide in our supplement guide we we do sort of break down like what to look for because you know just because an, a supplement let's say has b12 a lot of times it's not it's mm-hmm. not enough or they have vitamin d but it's only 25 percent if, if if the reason that you're taking that multivitamin is to get enough of these sort of key nutrients well then you want to you want to pick an option that you're not having to sort of double up on other things with so uh, that's the first recommendation I will say. And then for our strict vegan parents, uh, I will also say, you know, just, just sort of perhaps if the sourcing isn't really clear on the bottle or they don't have that, you know, cruelty-free or, or vegan label on it, to reach out to the manufacturer. Uh, you know, they're, they're really usually easy to DM on Instagram or email and just sort of say, hey, you know, what is the source of this? Because we, we know that formulations change often, uh, especially with, you know, price changes in the market and sourcing, you know, sometimes your favorite supplement can perhaps change. And so if you're, if you're curious about that at all, but you don't see that label, then we do recommend reaching out. And the reason I say that is because we've noticed over time, certain ones that we recommended have changed their Mm -hmm. sourcing. And a lot of that is just due to, Mm -hmm. to pricing. Um, so, and then sweeteners, that's the other thing I would say. A lot of kids, a lot of kids' vitamins, especially the liquid ones, are going to have some type of added sweetener. Um, you know, I it's it's hard to find ones that are are very limited in in added sugar or that don't use you know sort of questionable artificial sweeteners. Yeah. And I think that's a balance too, because what I tell my families is, yes, doesn't matter what vitamin you have if your kid's not going to w- be willing to take it. So you have to kind of <laughs> find yeah. one that they're and, willing oh, yes. to take. And I will. I, I will preface that by saying a lot of the ones in our guides do have some, I think, like stevia mm-hmm. or monk. I mean, we're we're not against it. We're just trying to find the ones that are are not honestly. Um, you know, there's nothing that's perfect out there. This is a big yeah. gripe that Alex and I have, and hopefully one day there will be. <clears throat> PBJ um, Supplement Company. <laughs> I mean, hint, hint. Um, and. That's why we made this guide really is because people asked us so frequently and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't even give you like the long, huge answer that I have to this, which is that there isn't one that I love. Like there isn't a multivitamin out there that has like the perfect amounts of everything we want. So we poured everything into this guide and explained everything about it next to all of our multivitamins. We say needs a little bit more D needs a little bit more of this so that you know that you can kind of like take this information and then decide what works best for you. Yes. Like, I think Alex, you provide a multivitamin, correct? For something. Um, I used to. Now, used... now that Van's older, yeah, I do individual I do, Yeah, ones. I do individual dosing because that's my obsessive brain where I like to like get all my tinctures out, but other parents <laughs> might not. They, they, want, they just want to give a multivitamin and we've got it explained in there because, yeah, it is the way it is. And like you said- well, you got to do what works, what, what the kid's going to actually take, um, yes. which you're going to remember to provide, yes. what, what makes the most sense affordably. Uh, so mm-hmm. the most important thing is the that they get that. They get that supplement one way or another. 
And our, our guide, sort of last thing I'll say, is really meant to empower, you know, because not, not every child has the same diet. And we really want you to, Whitney and I are really about the why, you know, obviously, gosh, if you listen to us, I mean, we are, we talk a lot about things and, and like to explain them because I, I don't, I'm the kind of person that if you just tell me something, well, no, I want to know why, what is the mechanism? And so I feel like, uh, in our guide, we we try to really explain these nutrients, how much they need, wh- where the dietary sources are, so parents can say, oh my gosh, you know, my kid eats all of those foods. I don't need this supplement. Okay, great. And you don't need it. But it's nothing that we can sort of say blanket to all of our followers. This is the perfect amount for every child because that's just inaccurate. And so we we really want to empower you as the parent to be able to say, okay, I want to I want to do this, and and here's sort of the guide that's that's going to help shepherd me through what's what options are going to be good for my child and which ones I perhaps don't need. I love it. No, that's such great advice. And I, I'm just smiling, thinking of Whitney and all of her little tinctures and her kids having to sit through all that. Because, you know, it, it's hard. And as my children get older, Mike, I can't even get my husband. Like, finally, we got it to the point where I have like a pill box and it has an, at dinner. I'm like commanding. I'm right, like, everybody. did you take your vitamins? You know, like to everybody, because otherwise we will have bottles of vitamins because I have it on auto ship. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, mm-hmm. we barely went through because they have their version. I have my version. And so now That's I have so to be really that. on top of it because otherwise nobody's taking vitamins except for me. Mm-hmm. I have my routine. I'm very, mm-hmm. very routine. Um, Same. And so you have to find what works. And I think I finally found. And I come the around the box, breakfast table. I can tell when, <laughs> what days they missed so I can shake my finger. <laughs> That's smart. I think I must have. I must have the weirdest kid. I mean, Vander every morning wakes up and is so excited for the vitamins <laughs> and drops. Like even, I mean, he does like he has, he's, he's a very routine child, but like, you know, in the, I'll say like, you ready for breakfast? No, we need our vitamins and drops oh, first. And that. he like sits on the table and he like makes sure Emery gets hers. So, so um, yeah, I come, we've got, they're all liquid. So, you know, I've got my five month old yeah. who's getting her liquid D drops and I've got Caleb who's got his three different, four different kinds. I think we're down to three now because of some reason. But, and then I've got my husband who he's got a liquid one too that we just got and it's a pump and he does not like taking his. <laughs> but my trick to get Caleb to do it, I go, okay, Caleb, who's getting their drops first? And he'll be like, daddy gets his. Ella gets her. <laughs> Otherwise, my husband would never take them. Like the same thing. We had all these pill bottles and I was like, when was the last time did you take your supplements, Abe? And he's like, I don't even remember. And so I'm, I'm around the table <laughs> squirting everything in everybody's mouth every morning. I, I feel you. It's I funny. know exactly how that goes. All right, real quick, yeah. what are y'all's favorite family meals? Uh, we do lentil tacos mm. a lot. My, it's my, it's my, honestly, it's one of the few ways my son eats lentils, and everyone loves them, and they're easy. We do quesadillas a lot. It's, it's one of the few ways Caleb will eat his beans, and I can also squeeze in a bunch of veggies in there. Um, mm-hmm. quick and easy option. Get that beta carotene. That's in our book, actually. Yeah. I love it. No, the recipes in y'all's yeah. book. That is why I need to be your child. Um, or I could just take turns. I can, you know, just go, could be like split custody between Alex and Whitney. And <laughs> I'm cool yes. with that. What do you wish more parents knew? Um, I wish, oh, so many things, where do I start? I, I, I wish more parents knew that you you don't have to stress so much. I think our DMs are filled 
with parents who, and, and I get it, like it's, it's hard being a parent. And I think that, you know, in, in this day, especially we have so much more information than our, than our parents had before us. Um, but I, I, I just wish that parents didn't stress perhaps so much on the things that, that really don't matter as, as much and, and are sort of taking that, that long view approach instead of that, that day to day, meal to meal, hyper focus, um, that I think kind of takes a lot of the joy out yes. of feeding. Um, I, I wish more plant-based parents specifically knew that it, it, it can be a challenge. It can be a learning curve, at least in the beginning for any diet you follow. And we talked about this in, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you want to feed your child an optimal diet, um, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be more work than not, than not feeding, than just feeding them whatever. And that, and that doesn't matter if you're plant-based or you're an omnivore, because I think like we said, plant-based diets get a bad rap of being really hard and really challenging to follow. And it's like, no, anytime you decide to make more positive lifestyle cho- choices in any regard of your, in, in any different aspect of your life, or whether that be any different kind of diet, it takes a little bit of consideration. And that's, and, but it doesn't have to be challenging. Once you learn the, the ins and outs, it, it becomes second nature. I love it. So positive. I just love the message that you both have. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to talk about all of these things and to launch your book. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that. Where can listeners connect with you and find all of your goodies and purchase your book and all of that fun stuff? Uh, we're, we're really active over on Instagram, so you can find us there at Plant Based Juniors. Uh, you can grab our book at the plantbasedbabyandtoddler.com or plantbasedbabyandtoddler.com. Uh, that's also the same title of the book, and that's available wherever books are found. Uh, and then our website is also jam-packed with a lot of long-form blog posts that sort of dive into some of the topics that we talked about today, uh, and that's at plantbasedjuniors.com. And that's where the supplement guide is, right, at Plant Based Juniors? And all of our free guides yep our pb3 plates our you know milk myths our fertility handouts our supplement guides we we really try to make as much of our content completely free as possible awesome i love it well if you could leave us with one call to action for the week what one thing can we do this week to make feeding our children more joyful yeah i would i would say focus on what they do than what they Mm. don't you know, I, I think that really sort of shifting that mindset of like, wow, you know, look where my child has come or look at the foods he does enjoy or look at the foods he does eat uh, is a much more positive, joyful experience than 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 worrying so much about perhaps the items that he doesn't. You know, we, we post what our kids ate a few times a week over on our Instagram page and we always get comments like, I wish my kid ate like that. Well, I wish my kid ate a lot of things, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't focus on that. I have to focus on the things that he, he does enjoy. Also, if you're looking at those, make sure to read the caption because we put which parts they, <laughs> they don't actually ate. And a lot of the time it's not, it's like one thing in the photo. Um, I will say to tag on to that, just, you know, keep in mind the division of responsibility, your job and your child's mm-hmm. job. It's your job to provide these nutrition, nutritious options at regular intervals. And it's your child's job to decide if they're hungry and if they want to eat them. And just keeping that in mind can take a lot of pressure off of you and feeling like you are not, if, if your child doesn't eat what's on the plate that you're fit, somehow failing, knowing that that's not your role. It's not your role to force them into eating food. So that helps me chill out and 
and enjoy the, the feeding process more. Yes. Yeah. Fe- feeding kids should be fun. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's so wonderful. I, I love watching my kids. Eat I love watching and watching them too. <laughs> Her daughter is the cutest. She loves food. She is so, and like she squeals when she eats. But, you know, it, it really is joyful. I mean, I, I we think about it like we're introducing our children to these, you know, beautiful, abundant foods. Like it's it's really fun and exhilarating. And I think that, you know, sort of stepping back and, and having that that joyful experience makes it joyful for your child as well. You know, we want this, these sort of mealtime memories to be to be enjoyable and to be positive. Yes. Well, this has been fantastic, ladies. Thank you so much. And when is the book released? May 18th. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything. I will continue to be a super fan to all of your work. And I know that my listeners, if they aren't already, will be as well. And I hope to see you soon again. But until then, have a very plantastic day. Thanks, Dr. Yami. Thank you. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.